Talking sports as they report Back and forth from their home court They talk the sports if you're not sure They talk of sports and then talk more About all sports East, West, South, North Ryan talks sports Andrew retorts And George will hear as they both sort Through all the sports they both support The Walk-Ons What's up guys? Welcome to the Walk-Ons Podcast It's Ryan Reeves This is Thursday, November 11th, 2021 And you guessed it We got a killer show for you guys today College Football Week 10 recap The CFP rankings are out some week 10 in the NFL, some NBA early season storylines, and college basketball is upon us. And later we've got an interview with our good buddy Drew Schaefer Crookston from the West Coast Gamblers podcast. Don't want to miss that one. But first and foremost, I'm joined as always by my colleague and confidant, Andrew Schuster. Oh man, I know you got a cold. You're battling something off this week. So what's your designation? Are you off the IR? Uh, I don't know. It's going to depend on uh, how much day I can get into my system before we start recording. So it's going to be Day to day, I'm gonna need a couple snaps in there to see how I feel, and then we'll be good to go. Oh boy, yeah, well, game time decision, true game time decision. I did hear that cough syrup hits hits different, so nice to know that you're on day call and not the scissor, so we can actually have a show today. Exactly, if I'd be a different type of show, we'd still have a show. But it'd play a little bit of show. I'd absolutely love it. Actually, um, we'll start right into the NFL. Let's just do a quick wrap up of, of Week Nine. Also, look, the big couple of movers and shakers today. OBJ to the Rams, Cam Newton back to Carolina. Look, they're splashy moves. I get it. Uh, I don't know if either one moves the needle necessarily for me. Do they for you? No, I mean, it's so nonsense, this whole OBJ circus, because this is a guy that five years ago, this would have been the biggest news in the NFL, and it would have been justified. Now I feel like he's just a headline-grabbing player without the production to back it up. And so you see it. You see he joins the Rams like, okay, now they have Von Miller. Now they have OBJ. You add it to their already long list of celebrity players. You're thinking this is a super team, but does he really move the needle that much? I mean, literally you saw what happened in the Browns game. They had an explosion in offense once he left. He's a cancer in the locker room. He's got his dad throwing up Instagram videos, you know, fighting his kids' kids' battles for him when he's a grown man. I, I think OBJ is going to enjoy playing in LA, which is probably – the complete opposite end of the spectrum compared to Cleveland in, you know, the flashiness and the celeb culture, but you know, the the Rams have three really good wide receivers. So I don't know where he's going to get all the touches to make him happy, which is like something he wanted, which is why I thought the Packers or the Chiefs made a lot more sense than the Rams. But to answer your question, I don't think it moves needle that much. And then with Cam, I love to see it just for the old time's sake, but I do want to know that the Panthers are currently playing the guy who replaced Cam Newton, the guy who replaced Cam's replacement, the guy who replaced Cam for replacement's replacement, and then now they're paying Cam Newton again. So that tells you where the Panthers are at right now. Yeah, they gave him a pretty healthy deal, too. That wasn't just, like, some chump change. Yeah, so well, look, I love – yeah, love to see it, but I don't necessarily know that it saves their season. Yeah, I mean, for the OBJ thing, it's, it's so very L.A., right? I mean, he's a guy who's just born and bred to be in L.A. It's also just very reminiscent of what the Lakers are doing, just compiling a bunch of guys. You know, not necessarily, I can say, Von Miller or OBJ are past their prime, but, you know, just basically compiling names, right? You're getting, you're getting splashy. And I, I think you're right. Like, maybe the one benefit of this for an OBJ standpoint is, yeah, he's going to be happier, right? It's a team that's winning. It's, it's a Super Bowl contender. But you give me one game where Cooper cuts – Cooper Cup gets his 10 to 12 targets. Uh, Robert Woods gets eight targets. You got Van Jefferson with four to six targets, and OBJ gets, what, three targets for 25 yards. It's just going to be the same OBJ. He's going to be in the media again complaining he's not getting looks, right? So, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a fun move to talk about, but I don't see it moving the needle either, and I don't see him suddenly making them right 
any more of a Super Bowl contender than they already were. I think he's just going to be a third or four, fourth option. He's going to be upset with it by the end of the year, and he's going to look to move on like he always does. As for Cam, I love seeing him back in Carolina. I think it's awesome. I don't know if it does anything for them. I and mean, look, that's a team that's four and five with really, really, really bad quarterback play. The defense is decent. They traded for Stefan Gilmore. It's interesting, but I don't know if it necessarily, I'm not going to say it makes him a Super Bowl contender. There's kind of some muddy waters there between five and seven in the NFC. Maybe, you know, maybe it's kind of the juice that they need, bring him back in and, you know, he does something exciting, but he's, I also remember that he's an absolute terrible passer of the football. So unless they're just going to run it 50 times a game with him and, can't, and McCaffrey, as long as he's healthy, it really does nothing for me either. And you, you mentioned, you know, the Browns, maybe this is the best thing to ever happen to the Browns because they actually went out and smashed the Bengals. They look fantastic. I mean, does this feel for the Rams? It feels like addition by subtraction. Does it feel like vice versa for the Browns? I mean, can they just kind of get, get that monkey off their back and actually, you know, make a run now? Yeah. I mean, it just, it, it takes away such a huge distraction in the locker room. And I think so much the reporting around Odell and Baker's relationship was that Baker was forcing targets to Odell trying to make him happy you know he's a big personality in the locker room you know he's the guy that in theory you want to have high numbers of production but if he's not really working in the flow of the offense and then you're taking away from that flow to try to placate him it's just it's not going to do anything good for you so I think now that you just take away the the on-field distraction and the locker room distraction in Odell and they can roll with the flow of their offense I mean they're a run first team so to have this superstar receiver kind of defeats the purpose of having him. And I know they lost Nick Chubb this week using COVID protocol, but still, like, they're a team that's going to run the ball first and foremost and then utilize that to open up the passing game. So I don't really know that the system was ever going to work in Odell's favor, so let's just get him out of there and have guys who want to be on the roster to begin with. Yeah, yeah, and the, the Nick Chubb loss is tough, but Dearness Johnson has proven that he can he can – take that rock and run with it. He's a very interesting player and also an awesome name. So, yeah, I mean, it seems like something that is probably good for Cleveland. He, I think you hit the nail on the head. He, he did not, as exciting of a player as he is and as talented as he is, that being OBJ, he just didn't fit that offense and just didn't make sense. So, you know, onward and upward. And speaking of maybe a team that responded well to losing a quote-unquote star, the Broncos went into the star in Dallas and absolutely whooped the Cowboys. I mean, I don't want to necessarily say that a guy like Von Miller, who's not the same Von Miller, he's still a great player, but I mean, is this something sort of reminiscent of the Browns where you get kind of a guy who maybe isn't as happy in this situation as he was in years past, not the same guy. Now the Broncos are kind of onward and upward as well. I mean, that's your team, right? What do you like? You were, you were, you were ready to cancel him. You were ready to fire the coach, eat into the coaching staff. You were ready to fire everybody, dude, put all these families on the street. I mean, I still am. I don't think our coaching staff is going to be the coaching staff that leads us on our next great playoff push. But I think the Broncos situation is much different because Von Miller wasn't a distraction. There were some reports about a Halloween party, all that. That's nonsense. He was a beloved rock locker room figure. He was the leader in the clubhouse. But the, the thing that has kind of been reported is that he just had a very laid back kind of leadership style. He, he didn't operate with a lot of urgency. You know, he was kind of resting on his laurels in a lot of ways because the last few years, He's had okay production this year. He didn't play last year. So it's really been one of those. He's the leader, but there hasn't really been tangible results since 2018, 2019. And so there was a lot of reporting this week too, that once they traded Vaughn, it was the Broncos giving up on the season. And in a lot of ways, I thought that as, as well. But I think the players in the locker room, your Justin Simmons, your Shelby Harris's, the emotional leaders who have more of a like in-your-face urgency leadership style really rallied the troops and said, everyone's doubting us. On some levels, even our own uh, front office is doubting us. And so I think they came out with a lot of fire, a lot of urgency that you just haven't seen all year. 
And to be fair, they got a lot of things that went their way in that game. I don't know if you saw, they had a punt blocked that turned into a first down for them. That happens like one out of a thousand times. I mean, it was just one of those games. Dak Prescott was missing a lot of throws where, you know, the receiver was wide open. And so I think the Broncos played a really good game, but I also think it was a a perfect storm of of the Cowboys were a bit off. They had a couple balls bounced their way. And look, as someone who's been a Broncos fan the last five years, just because you have one good performance does not mean they've, they've come over the hump. I don't, I want to, I do not believe that they've, they've, you know, turned around fully and are back to being a playoff caliber team because they could just as easily go out this week and get and lose to the Philly at home. So I like to see it, but I'm not exactly jumping back on the Broncos Super Bowl bandwagon just yet. That's smart. Yeah. Cause you'll get dragged behind that wagon for a few miles and that one, that won't look pretty for anybody. Uh, but you know, look, we, we mentioned Browns Bengals, obviously um, Broncos, Cowboys week nine was just a lot of upsets, right? I mean, Jags beat the Bills 96. I don't know if you heard Josh Allen dominated Josh Allen. I'm going to move past that because ESPN beat that one to death. We yep. get it. Uh, it's very exciting. It's history. Big deal. Uh, you know, t- the Giants beat the Raiders. I don't know if that's necessarily a upset, but, you know, it's just two bad teams just kind of going at it. One thing I want to mention, I don't necessarily know if this is an upset. I guess you could call it that because the Titans lost Derrick Henry, but the Titans go in Sunday night football. They mash. Uh, the Rams, the now new OBJ uh, laden Rams. But look, I had an interesting thought and this. I'm definitely not the only one who's ever thought about this, but you know, it was tough for Tennessee to lose Derrick Henry. There's no doubt about that. Um, But, you know, they were kind of my trendy pick early on uh, in this show for, uh, for Super Bowl, Right. And at first the defense was absolutely awful. They were atrocious. They were getting absolutely gutted. Now they've been fantastic. They've beaten, what buff they've been four playoff teams in a row buffalo kansas city uh the colts and then now the rams yeah. now this is interesting right derrick henry is supposed to be out six to ten weeks tennessee's seven and two now there's a lot of season left a lot that could happen but can you imagine six to ten weeks from last week that's basically week one or week two of the playoffs can you imagine tennessee with a healthy ready to go derrick henry that's a scary scary team if you ask me and that's the team to beat in the afc right now Oh yeah, especially if they get that first round by and oh, yeah. an extra oh, yeah. to, to rest. I mean, the other thing too is there is in the NFC AFC South, so they're all but guaranteed to win that division. They have two wins against the Colts already, and they're playing with the Jaguars and the Texans, who they're not competing. So they're going to be in the playoffs. It's just a question of what's their seeding. And then yeah. the other thing too is even though the NFL has become so pass happy, when it comes to the playoffs, having a stout defense and the ability to run the ball always serves as a good game plan to have. And Derrick Henry is shown to be a once-in-a-generation type running back that he doesn't get slowed down no matter how many carries he has. Obviously, he's hurt right now. But until then, I mean, he was on pace to have like a 2,200-yard season after having a 2,000-yard season last year. He's, he's just getting better and better with age. You can't slow him down. And so if they do have him with home field advantage and he's properly rested, I mean, you can make the argument, especially with how wide open the AFC is right now, yeah, they might be the hands-on favorite. Yeah, I mean, they're dangerous. In, in, in the interim, Leah, let's just go ahead and bring in AP, the ageless wonder, and just get him get ourselves a touchdown. I mean, the, like, the fact that AP is still in the NFL, let alone actually running and actually scoring a touchdown it, last week's game, it, I feel like I'm playing Madden 16. It's it's absolutely wild. I, I, I love it. I love what the Titans did. I mean, I didn't, see, didn't hear anybody talking about AP, like, actually coming back this year, but clearly he kept himself in shape. And yeah, if they can ride the wave and get that one seed, I mean, that is that is a dangerous, dangerous team. Um, let's look ahead to this week. So look, 
Not a ton of great games. We're going to actually talk a lot about this with our with our buddy Drew Schaefer Crookston here in our interview in a little bit. But um, let's kind of highlight some of these games. Obviously, sort of one of the big games only because of the storylines. Seahawks, Packers, Russell Wilson's coming back. Aaron Rodgers is probably coming back, although there's some reports that he may not actually be ready to go for this game. And if that's the case, then we've got another Jordan Love shit show ahead of us. But I wonder whether – is this game in Seattle? I don't know where they're going to put uh, Jordan Love's girlfriend and his mom again. They're going to put him, like, I don't know, at the Pike Fish Market or something to watch the game. Um, what do you make of this game? I mean, we got a question in here, like, who's most likely to show up? I think it's going to be Russell Wilson, obviously. But regardless of who starts at either quarterback position, I mean – what's your kind of take on the overall Aaron Rodgers situation? Cause this is one that's also been beaten to death, but something we have to as a sports podcast, at least address. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's so tough to get into these, these topics where there's the COVID and the anti-vax or pro-vax platform to stand on. To me, the thing with Aaron Rodgers that is concerning is how he handled himself with the media and then not really owning up to his comments you know, I, I've been on the Rodgers, the Denver train all year. I've beaten it to death. You guys are, know I'm annoying about it. But his comments last two weeks have given me significant pause about is, is he really the right quarterback for the Broncos to trade, you know, five draft picks or, you know, trade half their roster to get. And even though, like, I, I know from a football standpoint, he is still as good as ever, but he just brings such a distraction to the locker room now. And it's just you, you never would have thought that three years ago that he'd be doing this kind of stuff where it's like, it's clear he's, he's very narcissistic and is refusing to own up to his mistakes. That he just come out and said, look, I messed up. Um, I, I, I misspoke and it was never my intention to mislead you. I don't think this would be nearly as big of a story, but the fact that he you know, dies on this hill, that it's like, it's never his fault for anything that he does. It's just, it's so annoying. It's, it's kind of that Kyrie Irving, OBJ, Ben Simmons energy works. It's like, it's just prima donnas, man. And you're making your situation so much worse and there's nothing to do with your capabilities on the court or on the field. Um, to go to the game, yeah, I mean, this would have been a great match at the start of the year. You're thinking you have Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers. They've had some great playoff battles over the years. Um, and then like a couple of days ago, it was looking, it might be Geno Smith and Jordan Love and Fox was probably shitting their pants yeah. saying, what the hell, we're going to lose, um, you know, every potential ratings we have. But I think it, it's going to depend on if Aaron Rodgers plays. Uh, if Russell Wilson's playing this week, which it sounds like he is, and he's going up against Jordan Love, I know it's in Green Bay, but you have to like the Seahawks' chances. But then if Aaron Rodgers does play, even though he'll be just coming out of COVID protocol the day before, then it gets interesting because clearly they've shown, even without wide receivers, they could go beat Arizona in Arizona. So you'd like to think if Rodgers does play, you'd still have to like the Packers, especially with the Seahawks not really being their typical Seahawks selves as a, you know, clear run uh, front running playoff team. Yeah, no, I, I think that's an interesting point. I, look, I'm not going to belabor the point here with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I think what he did is a little bit shady. I don't put him in that same bucket as, as Kyrie Irving. I think he's actually a very thoughtful, um, you know, very astute, very honest, straightforward guy. Um, it just seems like he got into a situation where, you know, he, he had his own personal beliefs and he kind of did mislead the, the media and the fans for whatever reason. Right. And I guess the, the, one, the one thing that came out, which is hilarious is he was fined 14 K for that. Yeah. CD lamb was fined 20 K for an untucked Jersey last week. So make of that what you will, but that certainly does not add up at all to me. Um, let's just kind of look ahead to some of the other games, Andrew. I know we're going to talk a lot about this with Drew coming up, but <laughs> I can't believe we're doing this, but let's, let's talk a little jets, if you will, because Zach Wilson's back this week. But my man, Mike white, Mike motherfucking white, is starting 
And I don't know, is there a quarterback controversy in New York? I think there definitely is a quarterback controversy in New York. I mean, Zach Wilson was arguably the worst of all the rookie quarterbacks this year. And the Jets finally, like Mike White, he's not Tom Brady or anything, but like he looks competent out there, which the Jets have not been able to say for literally years. Just borderline competent quarterback play. So I say let's throw Mike White out there as long as possible until he like literally until you have to take him off the field. And then you can put Zach Wilson in there. And you know what? Worst case scenario, Mike White shows off that he's like a competent caliber quarterback. And you know, no matter what we're rolling with Zach Wilson in the future, Mike White ups his draft stock in terms of getting draft capital and return for him in a trade. So, you know, you know, don't rush Zach Wilson back from injury. The Jets aren't making the playoffs. Throw Mike White out there. And hey, if he turns out to be a really competent guy, suddenly you have an interesting, you know, conversation in, in, in your building to have about who really is the starting quarterback for the Jets going forward. Yeah, why not? You're the Jets. You got nothing to lose. You got the butt fumble hanging over your head still eight years later. I mean, that's the way it goes. I saw on Twitter, the Jets spent their second overall pick for their third best quarterback on their roster, which very much might be true. Um, yeah, moving quickly, we obviously we mentioned the Titans, Saints at Titans. That'll be a fun one, hopefully. Uh, I, I guess we're going to get Taysom Hill this week, so that'll be interesting for any fantasy folks. Uh, Rams at Niners, I'm not going to touch that one just because... Ugh, I, I can't do it. Uh, so let's move into something more interesting. We're going to do our interview with Drew Schaefer-Crookston coming up. We'll be right back. All right, joining us today is a recurring guest and great friend of the show. He's known as Schaefer the Sharp on the West Coast Gamblers podcast and easily one of the coolest dudes you will ever meet. It's our good friend, Drew Schaefer-Crookston. Drew, what's up, man? How are you? Ryan, Andrew, hey, glad to be back on the walk-ons. Always a pleasure. And, uh, the first half of the NFL season is gone, and it's we are in the second half, so it's time to uh, ascend up the leaderboard rankings and put some money in our pockets. Let's do it, man. Yeah, I know. Certainly, we, we we actually mentioned on this show, like, we would love to give, you know, we love having guys like you on because we love to give advice to our listeners, and most of the time that's wrong, so if they're putting money on that, we're, we're yeah. putting them out of the house and home, so that's usually a problem, but Look, we're going to skip past some of the, the big stories. Obviously, OBJ to the Rams, Cam Newton to the Panthers, but I know you got some games on your docket. Speaking of the Panthers, you got Panthers at Cardinals, minus 10.5. The over-under is 44. Who do you like there? Well, guys, uh, as you guys know, I have a podcast, The West Coast Gamblers, with, uh, with my partners, Tony and Dangles, and they tease me because I constantly, I'm talking constantly, I'm betting against the Cardinals. I'm fading the Cardinals. And last week, I'll tell you a quick story. I actually bet the San Francisco 49ers because uh, I had a little inside scoop via Twitter on a DM from a professional that, uh, that I've become friends with. And he said, Tyler Murray will not play on Sunday. This was like maybe on Tuesday morning. So I take the 49ers at plus three. And uh, needless to say, Kyler, D-Hop, they're ruled out. That line closed at minus six for San Francisco, guys. That's called, I had nine points of closing line value. I needed San Francisco to cover three, not uh, or to lose by three or less, not even to cover six. And we know it happened. Colt McCoy uh, ran a train uh, through that pathetic 49ers uh, team. I don't know what's going on. The 49ers haven't won a home game, I think, in like three years now. Um, but but uh, I'm going to go back to the well here, guys, and I'm going to take the Carolina Panthers getting 10 points in Glendale um, for this reason, if you're paying attention at all this year, um, Sam Darnold sucks. Um, that's my, that's my uh, poignant uh, uh, just appraisal of his abilities. He sucks. And you know, when we're talking about a P.J. Walker, 
who had some history with rule. I mean, he's been bad right now. I think he's like three of 15, but this is a game where last week, you know, I think teams get really, they get amped up to play for their backup quarterback, especially just a world-class guy like Colt McCoy. He's been in the league forever world division class. game on the road. It's us against the world. Now they're fat and happy. They're coming back home. They got a, they got a comfy division lead. I think this is a game where they really just kind of, just kind of mail it in and they, they're, they have no, they have no motivation to get margin here. So the Panthers, they still got something to play for. I think their offense will just be energized by not having Sam Darnold back there. Um, and their defense is good. You know, their defense is good. So I also think uh, th- this is, this is speculative. I don't think Kyler's going to play this week either. If he does, I think he'll be hobbled. Um, so give me the Panthers uh, plus 10 on Sunday. I like it. And you mentioned PJ Walker, right? I don't think anybody believes that Cam Newton's just going to walk in the building and start this week, but just for shits and giggles, would you, you know, would you, would this line shift or would it, would it change your opinion if Cam Newton's behind center? Yes. If Cam Newton's behind center, I want nothing to do with this game. Um, I, 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 I don't want a guy coming off the couch um, playing the Cardinals defense, no chance. So um, I don't anticipate him playing um, to be, I know you guys keyed on this earlier in the show, but you know, I, I don't know what that sign is. I mean, I, we all watched Cam last year for the Patriots. He was so brutal, you know, and um, he can't throw he's out. He can't throw yeah, well, he, No, he can't. And, and he's such a world-class athlete. And he's, you know, I think he obviously is a former MVP and, 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 and certainly a charismatic guy, he, you know, I mean, the Patriots raved about his leadership, all that stuff. So I'm not really sure what rule has up his sleeve there, um, if anything, but yeah, I, I do think, I do think, again, I'm, I'm, I'm going against my all-time record of betting Cardinals games of about two and 75, I think, in five years. So uh, hopefully we can get this one right. But I do like the Panthers uh, getting double digits. You are absolutely due, my dude. I like it. Panthers plus 10 and a half. All right, Chiefs at Raiders. Raiders plus two and a half, 51 and a half over under. Well, guys, I, I've been on this Chiefs team for about four weeks now. And, and if you guys have been paying attention, the last 20 games the Chiefs have played, they're 3-16-1 against the spread. This is a team that simply just doesn't cover. Now, they won up until this year. But, you know, I watch a lot of football, um, and I try to take, obviously, a sharp analytical uh, view of things. And not only does the, the Chiefs' stats not really add up, I mean, they certainly don't pass the eye test or the smell test. I, I'm looking at this team, and I feel – and I've said this on the show for the last four weeks, there's something fundamentally wrong with this Chiefs team. You look at, I mean, I'm not sure if it's Andrew Reid's health. Um, Kelsey looks banged up. Mahomes, you know, he's got his dork brother doing TikTok and Mexican restaurants with his, you know, fiance. He looks kind of miserable. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's doing these commercials. He's a bad actor, you know what I'm saying? Now, I, I think teams have really figured out they can play too deep on the Chiefs, not let anything go over the top. And um, they can beat make him beat you underneath. And let's not forget guys that, you know, the chiefs have a brand new offensive line this year. So I'm not sure if it's going to take a bye week to fix them. Uh, my personal opinion is I think the chiefs aren't going to make the playoffs. So listen, we don't need to go into all, you know, the, the laundry list of, of, of obstacles, the Vegas Raiders have had to overcome the last four weeks with Gruden and rugs. And now this Dork Arnett waving a gun around on Snapchat. Um, but I do believe in David Carr. I believe in his leadership. Um, I believe his team believes in him and that Raiders defense, I think is one of the most undervalued units in all of football. When you talk about Max Crosby, when you're talking about Carl Nassib coming off the edge. So um, this is, this is easy for me. I'm going to, I'm going to take the Oakland Raiders plus two and a half. I'm also 
going to tease the Raiders. Uh, so I'm going to tease them six points up to eight and a half. And I'm also going to triple down on this play, boys. I'm going to take Kansas City's team total under 27 and a half as well. Uh, they've averaged, I think, 16 and a half. I think they've averaged just under 17 points the last five games, while the Raiders have given up an average of about 16 and a half. So I think uh, you placed those three bets. Uh, I think we could be looking at a, at a sweep on Sunday night. Interesting. And, you know, let's keep it in the AFC with one of our probably better games of the week, two teams in the playoff hunt. We've got the Browns at the Patriots. We touched on it earlier. The Browns looked like they had some extreme addition by subtraction by getting OBJ out of there. And then Patriots have slowly but surely worked their way back into the AFC playoff race with the little bit of controversy this week with Mac Jones and the ankle twist. But yeah. Patriots are at home. What do you like in this game? And that's, I mean, it's, it's, it's my favorite game of the weekend. I think it's going to be a great game. Um, you're absolutely right about the addition by subtraction. I mean, any, I mean, all you have to do is put a, uh, a, um, a split screen of Baker's stats when he has OBJ on the field, as opposed to when he doesn't have OGB on, OBJ on the field. Um, clearly, he's a better quarterback, and the Browns are a better team without him uh, kind of, you know, polluting that offensive scheme. So um, they look great against the Bengals. You know, I'm really high on Mac Jones. Uh, full disclosure, I do have a hefty rookie of the year ticket that I got at like 12 to 1. And now he's, um, you know, I think he needs to twist Jamar Chase's ankles uh, maybe in the future um, to maybe help me win that bet. But um, I look at this game. I think these are two head coaches in Bill Belichick and Kevin Stefanski that don't uh, want to have their quarterbacks lose the game, which means to me, translates to me, conservative game plan. Obviously, Chubb's kind of questionable, but we've seen the, the, the Browns are at that position are kind of plug and play. So what I like really here, guys, I'm going to take the total. I'm going to go under the 45 here. Um, I think it's just going to be a really great football game. I can see a 21 to 17, uh, 24, 20, but um, that's going to be my play for this game is the under 45. If, I, if you're going to ask me to pick a side gun to my head, probably Patriots. Cause I'd hate bet. I hate betting against Belichick, but remember the Patriots had, five home games to start the year. They went one and four in those home games. So part of me thinks they're due. Um, and part of me thinks the Browns actually kind of play better on the road too, but going to be a great football game. Um, regardless of who wins, give me the under 45. Gotcha. And for those that missed at the front, the, the line is two and a half. So the, the Patriots are getting that strictly for being the home team. And now the next game, you know, it's interesting to pick a bet on it's, it's lines at Steelers. The Steelers are nine point favorites, um, 42 and a half the over under. What do you like in this game? So full disclosure, again, I mean, I'm, I'm talking to you from Kansas in Michigan. I, I am a, I'm a Detroit Lions fan because I hate myself. Um, so uh, <laughs> that's, that's what I am. Now, I'm, my senior year of college was 2008. I'm kind of dating myself here. But I do remember that undefeated Lions team, quote, unquote, undefeated when they were winless. And I can just tell you the culture, uh, even in the state um, around the team, is, is, is night and day. Now, listen. Dan Campbell, you know, the last time we saw the Lions, they laid a complete egg at home against the Eagles. They laid a complete egg at home against Cincinnati. But when you actually look at the roster from top to bottom, guys, this is, this is literally the worst roster in football. It's also the youngest roster in football. These guys play hard, and they don't want to lose. Uh, it goes without saying. They don't want to go the season without a win. Pittsburgh is traditionally, especially at home with Mike Tomlin at the helm, is – a fade as a big home favorite uh their own four as a favorite as a home favorite this year and we just saw them monday night blow a big lead to the bears to the point where the bears were actually leading down the stretch 
Now, if I, if I, this is, this pick's exclusive to the walk-ons because if I made this pick on my show, I would probably get tarred and feathered and laughed off the freaking uh, a Zoom call. But between me and you, I do like the Lions with the points here this week. I, I think Pittsburgh is so anemic offensively. Um, they just, you know, Big Ben, I liken Big Ben to kind of the last year of the Manning brothers and their respective careers. I don't think there's anything left in that tank. I mean, it's all Najee Harris. It's kind of a deep ball once in a while. I mean, that, let's not take anything away from that awesome Steelers defense with TJ Watt, Devin Bush, Micah Fitzpatrick. I mean, that's a great unit. But I really think off the bye, the Lions, especially getting embarrassed. And do you hear Dan Campbell literally physically dug a hole and he buried the game tape? He just buried it. So I think this is a spot where we could get maybe – uh, maybe a backdoor cover. Maybe the Lions are leading the fourth quarter. Remember, they took, the, they gave the Rams all they wanted in Los Angeles. They were leading that game. Um, they played a couple teams tough. They were leading at halftime against the Packers. They just haven't put together for four quarters. So I'm not going to get greedy here and bet them on the money line or anything. But I do. I'm, I'm going to risk again. If they got beat by 30, would I be surprised? No. But if they were to somehow be in the game the last two minutes, would I be surprised? No. So given the Steelers' history of uh, playing, being a really soft home favorite, especially under Tomlin, coming off short rest, Lions coming off a bye, I will take the Motor City Kitties getting eight. I love that. I love it. Yeah, and you're right. You hit the nail on the head. I, I, the Steelers just don't blow anybody out. They keep every, they're kind of like the Wisconsin of the NFL. They, they just don't blow people out. Maybe to get the running game going with Najee Harris. Yeah, but I want to ask you something, and this is a little bit off topic, Drew, but I just want to get your thoughts on this. So you mentioned last week, right, the, the big lead that Pittsburgh blew against the Bears. Obviously, a lot of people want to talk about that taunting penalty on Cassius Marsh. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, obviously, you turned the game a little bit. Chicago still had a chance at the end of the game. But what's your thoughts on what the NFL is doing with these taunting penalties? You know, I, I think, Ryan, I think the combination of the taunting penalties and the roughing the passer calls are Brutal. It's hard to say. It's hard to say they're ruining football because – Nothing ruins the NFL. It's just an unstoppable machine, snowball going downhill. No matter what they do, you know, they could play in leather helmets and put flags in their pockets, and we would still watch on Sundays. We're just – that's what we are as a society. But I will say, you know, the taunting and the roughing the passer call specifically just absolutely, especially as a better, as someone who tries to make money doing this, they irk me, man. I mean, it, it, you know, this is, this is a recreational thing for most and, and, and a part-time thing for me, but, like, People bet on these games, guys. They bet on these games. So what are we doing? Like, 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 what are we doing? Like, that guy's on the practice squad for the Steelers, makes a great play. And, you know, we, we all saw it. We, we, we all saw it. He just, you know, gave a little look. Was it, wasn't even bringing that much attention to himself. Wasn't, you know, he didn't pull his dick out or anything. Like, what are we doing here? You know, it's just, it's insane to me. So some of these, some of these roughing the pastor calls too are just like, they're gross. So the problem is like, for every problem, there needs to be a solution, right? So I've been trying to think of a solution and beyond like reviewing these, which is going to slow the game down more. I don't know what the solution is because I get, you know, like, listen, I, I think, I think the line in the sand for taunting needs to be, if you're, if you're stand, if you're taunting a player, if you're, if you're over him, if you're physically imposing him, if you're mocking him, you know, for X amount of time, uh, more than a, one Mississippi count, throw a flag. But that call was so pathetic. And as you know, it certainly did it, did it affect the outcome of the game? Hell yeah, it affected the outcome of the game. Anyone that doesn't say it is, is an idiot. So 
Um, that combined with the roughing the passers calls. Personally, I know a lot of people are in disagreement on this. If they can review targeting, I have no idea why they couldn't review roughing the passer because there's no way if they could review some of these roughing the passer calls that a ref could get under that hood and be like, oh, well, he breathed on Kyler Murray when a 320-pound tackle is running full speed downhill and uh, Kyler Murray stops on a dime and throws the ball and he bumps him and, and Kyler bounces off him like a freaking bouncy ball. What is that? So I'm with you guys there, man. And I, I hate it. I hate every aspect of it. I wish I had an answer, but um, I do not think it's good for the game at all. No, I appreciate the feedback. And it's, it's a total good point, right? I mean, especially with the new rules now where they're actually reviewing it in New York right now, right? Where the, you can just stop the play for 15 seconds, have the ref go over, put the headset on, say, hey, that wasn't rubbing the passer. Let's move on. But what part of the reason why I brought that up is because I know there were quite a few better, betters out there who, uh, who felt pretty, pretty strongly about that taunting call at the end of that game. Well, especially with roughing the passer, like, listen, if they're going to make it a safety issue, I get it. Like, the quarterback's head is non-negotiable. If you, if, you, if, you, if you touch it by accident, you're probably going to get flagged. I don't have a problem with that. You know, they can teach that in football coming up in high school level flag – or, sorry, not flag um, – rocket, high school, college, pros. They can teach, hey, quarterback's head's off limits. But we see all these times – I mean, I'm not sure if you guys saw the, the targeting call in the Jets-Bengals game, which personally oh, yeah. knocked me out of a survivor pool. I mean, that's, a, that's an offensive player, right, making a play, putting his head down. He puts the crown of his helmet down, and the defender, they hit heads, and that's a flag. I mean, that is a joke. That's a joke. So, again, I don't know, I don't know what the solution is, guys, but, um, yeah, I'd like to see it remedied as soon as possible. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm a big fan of just keeping the refs on the sidelines, right? You got to get involved in the game. You got to make sure the game is, you know, going on course, but – Stay away when, it, when it's one of those plays. But let's get us back on track because we've got a few bonus lines for you before you go. This is my favorite bet of the week. Falcons at Cowboys, minus nine. The over-under is 54 and a half. Look, nobody's talking about the Falcons. Like, they were bad last year, and they lost, I think, maybe a record of, you know, one-score games, right? They were just losing games. They were losing leads like crazy. That defense was bleeding. Um, this year, Young Way Koo's got three game-winning kicks. Um, the, you know, the Falcons are actually, they're in the thick of it. Matt Ryan's playing well. The Cowboys obviously just got blasted at home by Teddy Bridgewater and the Broncos. I love this bet. What about you? You know, Ryan, I, I lean the Falcons for sure. My, my one thing with them, uh, is obviously we saw what Dallas did last week, just lay a complete egg at home against Denver. Now, Atlanta, they just lack so much explosiveness without uh, having really there to take the top off. Everyone knows about Kyle Pitts and Cordell Patterson, um, and they're great. Uh, but if I'm looking at the Falcons' schedule, a lot of their wins have, you know, come against inferior opponents, the Giants, the Jets, the, the, uh, the Dolphins. So I'm worried about the quality of the opponent here for the Cowboys coming off that flat spot. However, I, you, you'll be happy to report – I'm happy to report, Ryan, that sharp money – has come in on the Falcons early here in the week. Um, I definitely lean that way. It's Falcons or pass for me. So I'm making my circuit contest picks um, at some point tomorrow morning. That is a game I am considering plus nine in the contest. So I'm with you there. Uh, it's definitely definitely a fringe game for me. But the good news is for me, Falcons are pass all the way. Yeah, when we, we got one more for you, and it's it's probably the funnest bet of the week. And we're going to go to the college for this. It's uh, – New Mexico State at Bama with a, yeah. that, you know, slight 52.5, yeah. uh, you know, dip, you know, money line difference. And uh, I mean, 
is it worth it? Is it? Do we actually expect Alabama to win by fifty-three? So I, guys, I, I feel like it's groundhog day. I can't be positive it's same New Mexico State. I actually had a friend. I used to live in Scottsdale, Arizona. I had a friend that uh, was on scholarship for New Mexico State as a running back, and he's hilarious. So he he's always fade New Mexico State. So two thousand nineteen, this same friend. Um, we were at a bachelor party in Las Vegas and I swear I have to look it up, but I'm almost positive. It was, it was New Mexico state versus Bama in Tuscaloosa. And I do know for a fact that the line was, it was like 50, uh, uh, it was like 50, 55 or something. I mean, it, it, it was, it was above this. Right. So, um, I actually bet a lot of Bama games because my uncle's a booster there. So he always tells me, you know, stay away, blah, blah, blah. Um, but we bet <laughs> we took somehow we took plus 55 on New Mexico state. I swear to God. And would you, would you believe, would you believe that Bama was up? Like we put the ticket in the game was about to kick off. Like, yeah, let's get a couple of beers. We turned around and it was like 31, nothing. <laughs> it was like, it was 31, nothing. We were like, Oh my God. Oh, so no. this is, this is a true story. Bama scores, Bama scores six touchdowns no seven uh they scored they scored eight touchdowns 56 points it was 56 to nothing and i don't think new mexico state got the ball past midfield for three and a half quarters and new mexico state like halfway through the fourth throws this like kind of this flare and basically two bama third stringers are basically they're fighting over who's going to catch it bounces off the helmet into new mexico state's arms New Mexico State, they lose 56 to 7 and cover the 55. So <laughs> I I have precedence for this. I will say, I will say that if you had to, if you had to make me bet this game, how many times can you say, I'll take the 52 and a half? So I mean, if you had to make me bet it, I'll take the 52 and a half. Obviously, Bama is gonna be uh, I think they're gonna be bad out of hell after that really flat performance against LSU last week. Um I would, if I had to bet anything, I'd look at their team total over in the first half. Of that. I mean, similar to like when I bet them in 2019, I'm sure they'll be up about 40, about a, a couple minutes in. But that is a fun bet, Andrew. And I, I would I would lean New Mexico State, although I have a good faith. They're one of the worst programs in the country. But that is that is a great bet. Hey, all we need is a fumbled punt and a return for touchdown, and we're covering, baby. That's all we need. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> two weeks ago, two weeks ago, I bet um, Army on a teaser – and they scored 56 points, and I didn't cover the teaser. Because oh, was Wake that Forest, against Wake Forest, who plays that? That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's correct. <laughs> well, I love it, man. Just to recap that, we've got our man Drew Schaefer Crookston. He's got Panthers plus 10 and a half, plus 10 and a half Raiders plus two and a half, Browns Pats under 45, and Lions plus nine. Stay away from the Falcons, Cowboys, and go ahead and take New Mexico State if you're feeling giddy. Yeah, yeah. I know. I, 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 I'm gonna say I'm gonna, I'm gonna make that a lean, right? I'm gonna lean. I'm gonna lean Falcons for you, and right, let, like let's, it. let's, let's play the teaser. Then I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play the Raiders plus eight and a half and the Cleveland Browns plus eight and a half teaser, two team six point teaser. That would be my teaser of the week. I love the way you tease, Drew. That's the best, man. Well, hey, Drew Schaefer Crookston, always you're a great friend of the show. We love having you on, man. Congrats on the newborn baby. You got yourself a stud, my man. I cannot wait to have him on the show when we're still cooking yeah. about 20 years from now. But Drew Shaver Crookston, thank you so much. West Coast Gamblers, you're the man. Fellas, always a pleasure. Uh, love the walk-ons. We'll talk soon.
All right. Thanks to Drew Schaefer Crookston, a good friend of the show. He always comes with the heat. I absolutely love it. Make sure to check out the West Coast Gamblers Twitter at West Coast Gams and Drew himself at Drew Schaefer. Andrew, it's always nice to have a resident gambling expert on the team because, you know, I'd love to do that every week, wouldn't you? I mean, we could do it, but uh, I'd like to have our listeners not lose their mortgages on the horribly recommended picks. Uh, we would just lose money for everybody involved. So that's a good point. You want to lose money, listen to our show and, and take our advice because uh, yeah, every week we seem to have one really bad take. Yeah, you want to lose house and home, just listen to this podcast. We're, we're your guys, absolutely. We get, we get one, one or two, twi- you know, right? And we're like a blind squirrel finding a nut. Everybody finds one at least once in a while. Um, but let's, let's go into some college football, Andrew. So look, week 10, well, we're into week 11. Week 10 was last week. Here we go again. Uh, we get all excited about these wannabes, so to speak, Michigan State. Wake Forest, Cincy, and every year, right around this time, the chaff gets separated from the wheat. We end up with the same cast of characters at the top of the college football playoff rankings. Of course, Michigan State lost to Purdue. Wake Forest lost to UNC. Cincy won, but not very convincingly against Tulsa. So I guess my question to you is what we're seeing right now, what happened last week and going into week 11, is this more or less of a case for the college football committee to make it 12 teams versus four? Oh, man, I think I still want to see 12, and I think most college football fans want to see 12, but it, it may strengthen the case that that would be extraneous and unnecessary because there's not really 12 teams that are competing for the national title. But like I said, we want to see 12 because it's not every year where the top four teams will end up being the top four teams in a 12-team playoff when it's all said and done. Um, but my, my biggest takeaway of this week is everyone got all up in arms about Cincinnati dropping to six though they're undefeated. And I'm like, look, it's a bummer that the, the group of five teams still aren't getting the respect they need. But when has it ever been where the top five teams in the college football playoff from the first rankings to the last rankings stay consistent? That's never happened. So I know if you're a Cincinnati fan, you have to be disappointed. You have to be angry. But we already saw it this week. Teams in front of you were going to lose because, you know, Georgia, Alabama have to play each other. Michigan State had to play Ohio State at some point. So if you're Cincinnati, just keep winning, keep doing what you can control, and it will ultimately work out in the end. Don't get all in such a huff about we were disrespected. You were, and everyone knows that. But just know you're going to have the opportunity to fix the mistake because the committee's looking at it saying, we don't want to put you in and have to take you out. They still want to make it so it's like we're having to put Cincinnati in because they've earned it, and we have a couple two-loss teams that we can't justify putting in over an undefeated Cincinnati. Yeah, I, I think that's totally fair. I mean, you know, the, the funny thing about the college football playoff is the, the committee just rewards sort of, uh, I guess, background pedigree, right? And you see, you see it at the top, right? You see Ohio State, Alabama, Oregon, Oklahoma, they're, they're there. And we get excited every single year. You see these like there's this, these teams like Oklahoma State or a couple of weeks ago, you know, now in Michigan State, Wake Forest. They, the, it always just seems to work itself out. And I, I'm with you. As a fan, I want to see 12 teams in. I, you look at like a predictive 12-team playoff. I mean, there's there's a Baylor in there playing Oklahoma, something like that. There are there are definitely some upsets that I think could happen, especially now with the parity that there is. I think Georgia's the only true cut best team in the nation. Every, everybody else is just kind of, they've got their warts, right? There there are problems all over the all over the map. And yeah, since he has no reason to be upset. They're at five right now. I mean, if one of those teams in front of them, especially, you know, the one loss teams like Ohio State, Alabama, Oregon, if they lose one more, there's no way you cannot put Cincinnati in there. But at the end of the day, Cincinnati is who they are. They play in the AAC. They play a bad conference schedule. 
They're going to end up, if they win out their next three games, they're going to end up in a conference championship game against Houston, which really does not. I mean, yes, Houston's a decent team, but that really doesn't do anything. I think one of the main problems, especially if you're going to go to 12 teams, you got to do away with these preseason rankings, right? Because that's teams started, you know, you get these, these, I don't even know who fucking makes it, whatever, but you have these expectations for these teams that might not end up being good, but it's like, oh, well, they were ranked in the top 10 before we started the season. It's like, we don't even know that. You, you shouldn't even have rankings for the first five weeks. It's absolutely freaking asinine. It's stupid. Yeah, I like that idea, especially because every year you get teams like USC or Texas who just are in the top 15, and it's like, what have they done the last 10 years to justify this? Yeah. Florida. I mean, yeah, same thing. Yeah. I mean, look, at, look, I'm a UNC fan. They're terrible, and they were ranked number 10 to start the season. So it's all conjecture. It's all based off of, like, you know, the media thinking who's the best, but you have no clue. No one would have known that at week 10, Wake Forest was going to be ranked number nine. Baylor, like last year, was horrible. And now they're ranked number 12. Like, you just have no way of knowing. Like, I mean, I think the rankings provide some level of, like, understanding of, like, kind of what teams to watch, you know, where the stakes are. But like you said, they're ultimately never going to end up being what they were at the start of the year. So, you know, there's, there's, there's pros and cons. And if, if you got rid of the rankings the first couple of weeks, I don't think it would change that much in the college football landscape. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, it's just it's much easier to fall down the rankings than it is to move up, especially for a team like Cincinnati or Wake Forest, you know, got rest their souls. But uh, it's just it's an imperfect system. And I don't think it'll it, it's not going to get necessarily any better when 12 teams. Right. Because they're going to be teams 13 and 14 are going to be crying to high heaven because they got left out. But yeah, Cincinnati fans, just slow your roll. Just win out, win your conference championship game and let the chips fall where they may. It's just going to that's the only way you can do it. Right. Um, but you know, some major takeaways from week 10, obviously Wake Forest losing, but not an ACC game, Andrew, despite playing UNC and also another ACC team. So they could, we're still probably going to see them in the ACC championship game, which is weird. Um, and this is an ode to our boy, Drew. If you, for any of you betters out there, if you see Wake Forest and or UNC on the schedule, hammer the over, absolutely hammer the over because both teams play defense like those nerds in Pamplona trying to get Gordon in the streets aka they're basically running for their lives i mean it's the worst defense you've ever seen every guys are running wide open just left and right it's absolutely insane but look let's talk about another team that fell this week they were obviously in the cfp rankings last week michigan state lost to the spoiler makers nice touch there uh, i think if purdue could play a top five team every week they'd be ahead of georgia in the rankings right now but um what do you mean look purdue's got ohio state this week i mean do they have them right where they want them or what I think at this point, Ohio State's like, all right, maybe we shouldn't overlook them. They beat Iowa when they were ranked number two. They beat Michigan State. I'm not saying Ohio State's like treating them like they're playing Michigan or Alabama, but they're definitely not going to overlook them this week. And then that under your point about UNC, it was a 17 nothing into the first quarter. Pittsburgh already probably has 400 yards passing. So, yeah, be over. <laughs> like, where are they going? Like, whenever you snap the ball, I feel like all the defensive backs for UNC, they just, like, run towards the sidelines. They just run away. I have no clue. Up the field and just four wide receivers, like, just pick one. It's, 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 it's the craziest thing. Their, their talent level is actually really good. I mean, they have, like, one of their cornerbacks was the number one quarterback recruit in the entire country this year, and he looks lost out there. It's, it, their defensive scheming is just it's atrocious, and the players don't look like they have any clue what they're supposed to be doing. Um, so I don't know that we're going to be seeing the same defensive coordinator back next year. And I freaking hope not, but, uh, 
Yeah. No, I mean, it just goes to the show. Like, you can have Sam Howell and this great offense, but if your defense can't stop anybody, then you're going to go six and six, which is what they're looking like they're going to be doing. Yeah. I mean, regardless of how good Sam Howell may or may not be, uh, you have to put up 50 points every week to win. That's that's a tough road to hoe. I'm not going to lie. But, you know, one thing we obviously talked about – the college football playoff and the committee and what they got right, what they got wrong. One thing I, I think they actually got right is they got Oklahoma undefeated Oklahoma at number eight, because we've, we've been hammering this all year on this podcast. Oklahoma just doesn't impress me at all, but I mean, they, they have just as much of a case as Cincinnati to be like, well, why the hell are we at eight? Right. I mean, yes, but at the same time, every time Oklahoma makes the final four, they get absolutely destroyed. The only time they were competitive was that Rose bowl game where they went multiple overtimes at Georgia, which was great. But for that one game to not justify the like last three or four just beat downs they've gotten. I mean, there's, there's a very good chance they go undefeated. You know, the big 12 champ. And in theory, that should warrant you a spot in the college football playoff. But we've seen this same show over and over again of this team that is undefeated because they're playing subpar competition. And then they get the, you know, breaks beat off them in the actual college football playoff. So I think Oklahoma is in a similar boat as Cincinnati. Take care of what you can take care of. And if there's no other, you know, one lost team that we can justify putting in front of you, you'll make it. But I don't think they're going to get the benefit of the doubt the same way they have been the last couple of years. Yeah, I think that's fair. All right. Last thing to wrap this up, you know, we kind of, we, we hit on it a little bit, right. But those teams in the top four, right. Bama barely survived LSU 2014. Ohio state did not look great against a very bad Nebraska team, 26, 17, Oregon was blah against Washington, 26, 16, Georgia's the only team that looks like they're worth a damn at all. I mean, is this, dare I say, Kirby Smart and Georgia's title to lose this year? I think it is. Um, that being said, though, I think if you they played Alabama, the betters would say Alabama's winning yeah. this game just because they haven't gotten that monkey off their back. I think, you know, Nick Saban has such a great track record against his assistants. Plus, we've seen it time and time again where Georgia will have Alabama on the ropes in these high-profile games, and then Alabama always comes back to win. They, they don't have that killer instinct take you know, take down the tide. So as good as the defense looks right now, you'd still have to say on paper, the eye test, Georgia's the best team, but the last team they want to face is Alabama. And that's, to me, like, I you know, I, I don't want to see two SEC teams make the college football playoff, but that would at least make it interesting instead of, you know, Georgia beating Oregon 42-10. to 10. Yeah, well, that's exactly who they're going to get. I mean, if, if things stay status quo, it's going to be Georgia-Alabama in the SEC championship game. And if Alabama wins and both teams are, say, 11-1, and one, you're probably going to see both of those teams yep. in the college football playoff. And, you know, looking at Georgia's schedule, they're at Tennessee, which is scrappy Tennessee, but not that good. And then I don't even know who CHSO is. Is that Charleston Southern? God, I love the SEC like week 10, week 11, where they just schedule these half the, half the conference just schedules cupcakes and they just beat the snot out of people. I mean, we mentioned with Drew, you've got Alabama this week with New Mexico State in a 51 and a half, 52 and a half point uh, favorite. So I don't know. The SEC just needs to get rid of those games. But yeah, I mean, Georgia's got all the chance in the world to win out and they're going to meet Alabama in the championship game. And yeah, if things stay the way they have been in recent years, Alabama's going to win that game. You're going to see two SEC teams in the, in the playoff. It just is what it is. Yeah, well, especially with an AC, the ACC will not get a team this year. No, zero percent chance. Absolutely not. No, and the Big Twelve only chance is is Oklahoma. This is why I think you have to like Cincinnati's chances because two of the Power Five conferences have 
don't really have much to offer. And the Pac-12, if Oregon slips up, doesn't have anyone to offer. No. I mean, there's a scenario we could see two SEC teams and two Big Ten teams. It's a very weird year. Yeah. Yeah, it would be weird. And a three or four loss Wisconsin team in the Big, T- Big Ten championship game, which would, you know, that would be fun to watch, but we're going to get the snot beat out of us by whoever else it is. All right, let's, uh, let's do a little NBA, Andrew, because my man, early season, Golden State, 10 and 1. Chef Curry doing his thing. Clay Thompson's still coming back. James Wiseman's still coming back. Jonathan Kaminga's still coming back. Look, it's an 82 game season. Like, there's a reason why I don't even watch full games in the NBA until like February or, or March because it really just doesn't matter, right? I mean, 20 point leads into a fourth quarter just doesn't mean anything. You got teams coming back. 11 games in, 10 and 1 doesn't mean a whole lot. But I will say, we talked on this show about who, who we're looking at in the West in a tough Western conference. Seems like we mentioned almost everybody, and then the Warriors were kind of an afterthought. What do you think now, my man? I mean, a weekend, they look like the best team in the NBA. And like you said, they don't even have Clay Thompson. They don't have these, you know, Jonathan Kaminga or, or Wiseman. I mean, that's tough. I think the one thing standing in the way is, is Draymond Green going to get more fights with teammates. Really got a fight. Well, that's a guarantee. He absolutely will. Of course, that's the kind of guy he is. Yeah, no, I think he's rolling. I think obviously Utah's got a good record, but no one takes him seriously as a playoff threat. I will say, hey, look at the Nuggets. No Jokic, no Murray, no MPJ last night. Still beat a good Indiana team. Um, And I think the Jokic or Markeith Morris stuff, even though it's a little overblown, I think Jokic got some respect this week. I think he, you know, talk about an NBA MVP that still doesn't really get the same level of, you know, publicity and kind of league-wide respect. And this week he was like, no, you guys have to take me seriously. And, you know, he's got it. He's leading the league his all-time historically in PER right now, greater than any other player ever. Dude's balling. He's clearly solidified himself as a top five player in the league. And I, I like the Nuggets' chances, too, if they can get healthy and get everybody back rolling. And this is with MPJ not either playing or being completely terrible. Yeah, I like the I, I like the Nuggets' chances even better when the Jokic brothers are, are front and center, you yes. know, on the court for every single game because that was awesome. Look, I love the Morris brothers. I, I think they're awesome, but they are the biggest fake tough guys in the NBA. And I'll tell you one thing. You do not want to mix – any acts of violence or even threats of violence with Eastern European, you know, former Yugoslavia folks. And that's what, <laughs> that's what the Jokic brothers are. And apparently they've already bought tickets to the next game, which is the end of November in Miami. So they will be there, you know, front and center. And I can't wait to see what happens, but I really don't think the Morris brothers are going to do a damn thing. No, uh, they will not. No, they won't. Uh, <laughs> But look, let's let's flip over to the Eastern Conference because we got some actually some exciting stuff here. Chicago, Washington, Cleveland atop the the East. Um, Chicago's awesome. Love what they did with the free agent signings, Demar Derozan. Uh, of course, Zach Zach Levine is there already. Alex Caruso, who's been awesome. Lonzo Ball, Washington. I don't think anybody saw that coming. I thought they were going to be absolutely terrible again. Bradley Beal is going to force his way out. Cleveland, Evan Mobley's been awesome. It sucks that. Uh, uh, Colin Sexton went down with the MCL, but out of those three teams, Andrew, do you, who do you see as maybe the most likely, not necessarily contender, I don't want to say, but somebody who's that more likely to hold serve there, you know, four or five in the East and actually make some noise. I mean, I think Chicago's for real, definitely as a regular season team. I, think too. I, I you still, you can't necessarily bank on them being a, a great postseason team, especially because Zach Levine has like never been on a winning team ever in the NBA. It's been a long time since he's had to deal with that responsibility. Washington and Cleveland, I think Cleveland's scrappy. They're scrappy, but I honestly know that they have the talent to be a legit playoff contender. 
Um, I mean, they, they have a bunch of young talent and they've had some things go their way the last couple of weeks. And then with Washington, I mean, how lucky are they that the, the Lakers somehow thought Russell Westbrook was going to be a good addition. And they just gave them all these great role players and, you know, put them in a position where they're not playing in LeBron's shadow. I mean, Kuzma hit that game-winning three last night and then, you know, was saying Cleveland ain't shit without LeBron. Just, I mean, I, and, and this is all with Bradley Buell not even really playing his best ball. So yeah. I think you have to look at Washington as a legit playoff team. I still don't know that for any of these teams, you look at them as in competing with the Bucs or the Nets for the actual Eastern Conference, you know, title, but they're fun regular season teams. And I, I think at this point, you have to think all three will make the playoffs or at least the play-in. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, look, yeah, again, this is this is very kind of college football aspect. Right? We are so early in the season. I mean, you got teams like eight and three, eight and four, and we're talking about are they going to win an NBA title? Um, I certainly don't buy into Cleveland or Washington, really, but I do think Chicago is a very interesting team. My, my main question in the offseason was, were those guys going to be able to gel, right? Lonzo Ball has proven himself to be pretty unselfish player, but I mean, Zach Levine has been the guy there. DeMar DeRozan has been the guy in Toronto and in San Antonio, but so far so good. looks like they gel. looks like they like each other. That's a really interesting team. So we could definitely see them, you know, making some noise towards the end of the season. Well, I know I mentioned that in our intro today that we were going to hit some college basketball, but we are running out of time. So I want to go to do's and does of the week. The one thing I will say about college basketball, Gonzaga looks awesome, but Chet Holmgren is probably the weirdest looking motherfucker I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, I just, I can't get behind it. And with him and Drew Timmy in the front court, it's, it's like, I don't even know, like the blues brothers, but way worse and not as fat. Um, So that's my take on college basketball for this week. We'll come back with more next week. Uh, But Andrew, who's your dude of the week? My dude is my guy. Will the thrill Barton. In my Homer comment, I made a couple Homer comments this week, but in my Homer comment of the week, I have to give a shout out to Nuggets guard Will Barton, who put up a 30-burger last night to lead the Nuggets to victory over Indiana, in which they are missing, as I said, Jokic, Murray, and Michael Porter Jr. That's like $500 million in contracts right there. The dude is 13 of 17 from deep in his last two games, and as he famously in one of his memes just says, he just gets buckets. And when your fourth best player is capable of putting a team on your back and carrying you to a victory over a playoff caliber team, you're doing okay. So go Nugs. There you go. Willie Buckets. All right. My dude of the week, I almost hesitate to say this, but it's Scott Boris. All right. They had the annual GM meetings in San Diego where all the GMs meet, start talking deals with agents. And Boris kept it real. I mean, look, he is one of, if not the most powerful man in all of sports. And, you know, the amount of contracts that he – he has, and, you know, he also backs it up with, with he walks the walk and talks the talk. But, look, he, he's, he had some zingers this week. He basically said the system that MLB has created, basically created or allowed for the Atlanta Braves to win the title. Not necessarily if I agree with that, but his points after that were actually very, very astute. Says there's an incentive for a race to the bottom, teams to get worse, which is absolutely true. He said there's about 17 teams who are really actually trying to compete. The other 13 just aren't doing anything. They're trying to save some money, which – is probably too many, maybe 12 to 13 teams are actually trying to compete, which is a joke. MLB service time is complete bullshit. Uh, everybody knows that. I mean, it's, it's all in the name of money and trying to control players and everything. It, it needs to change. And if Scott Boris is one of those guys who's actually going to get in there and, and force some change, then I'm all for it. All right, Andrew, who's your dud? Oh, man, my dud is the New Orleans Pelicans. And I cannot believe this is not a bigger story going on in that. I mean, the Kyrie Irving stuff, Ben Simmons, they seem to be the most dysfunctional so team. But the Pelicans are the leader in the clubhouse by far. 
Um, for those that don't know, rumors are swirling. The Pelicans GM, David Griffin, is already on the hot seat, which I think we already knew even going into last year. The Pelicans are 1-11 right now without Zion or Brandon Ingram. And while it's, like, understandable they would struggle without these guys, no one thought it would be this bad this quickly. I mean, the Pelicans have lost eight straight, including a loss last night, to the Thunder, who are blatantly tanking as much as possible, where the team received five technicals in one quarter. It's just – it's not even to mention that the reason Zion is out is because they horribly mismanaged his health this offseason. You know, at one point they're like, he'll be back at some point this year. They just had no clue when he was going to be healthy. And, and he's he, fat. He, he, has, he has no incentive to listen to their trainers when they try to get him in shape. And he's already made it clear, like, he w- wants to go play for the Knicks. I mean, it's like he, he stands to lose so much money by not signing with the Pelicans on, his, on the max contract. But it's like he's already decided it may be worth it to just go get money from another team. And just to clarify, this would be a team that within a three- or four-year span – has lost two, like, once-in-a-generation all-pro caliber NBA players simply because the organization is so mismanaged. It's just big yikes. And, and there's rumors that you know, the Pelicans can move to Seattle at some point because there's just no fan support. And that's looking more and more likely uh, every day. It's, yeah, there's a shit show going on in New Orleans, and I do not want to be a part of it. Yeah, it, it's gone from bad to worse for the Pels. And probably the worst thing of all is that nobody really seems to care. Like you said, right? There's no support. Nobody really cares. It's not even a big story because just the Pelicans just aren't news, despite the fact that they've got Zion Williamson. It's just, it's kind of silly. So yeah, good, good luck to the folks down there in New Orleans who are supporting their team. But my dead of the week, guess who? It's Scott Boris. Yeah, he brought the heat at the annual GM meetings, but he also came with, I don't even know what you call these, metaphors, analogies, something else on the wind, but I'm going to read you some of these, Andrew, and I I want you to go ahead and power rank these for me because these are some of the dumbest fucking things I've ever heard. Obviously, Scott Boris, very powerful man, very rich man. He does it because he pushes his clients, but the way he decided to go ahead and push his clients this week, um, that leaves me a little questioning. On Max Scherzer, quote, I think teams that are pursuing a championship are not pursuing the minimum. They are taking it to the max. Okay, nice one. Nick Castellanos from the Reds. I advised all of you two years ago that old St. Nick was going to bring a lot of presents to Cincinnati. Frankly, we're just going to sit back and see what teams have been naughty and nice. Okay. Marcus Simeon from the Blue Jays. Quote, he kind of brings a charge to the batter's box and he insulates the middle field, the middle infield. He truly, he's truly a modern day Simeon conductor. And finally, Chris Bryant from the Giants. He's kind of the Sean Connery of baseball. He has positional versatility, which makes him untouchable. He has Bond-like abilities to create a great middle of the lineup. He's always red hot in the hunt for October. He's an extraordinary gentleman and in a league of his own. (sighs) I'm exhausted. Give me your power rankings for those because I just, I need to know because. But like when I'm power ranking them is, is one like the worst is it the, the cringiest? Or well, it- I'm glad you said that because I'm going to power rank them from cringiest to least cringiest. All right, cringiest you- is definitely Marcus Simeon because that's really Absolutely. not even a, a joke there. Yep, you um, know, right? Number two, uh, Max, because it's low-hanging fruit. I mean, not a lot, a lot of creativity there. Um, I'm going to do Nick Castellanos, number three simply because the Chris Bryant one is as cringeworthy as, as it is. He worked in a couple references. So yeah. a little bit more. And I, 
I, I don't want to say he's clever, but it's a little more clever than the Nick one. But yeah, yeah I, I was sick this week and I just got even sicker just hearing these. Yikes. Yeah, I'll say Mark, Marcus Simeon is easily the, the cringiest. That's that's far at the top. Castellanos, the old Saint Nick, that's actually a little clever. Uh, so I'll put that two. I'll put Chris Bryant three just for the, the ingenuity and then Max Scherzer, that's just being lazy, taking it to the max. But really, I want to know is what kind of tequila Scott Boris got into when he was writing these, like just sitting in his hotel room, like, yeah. That's he, he must know Tom Brady. Conductor. <laughs> yeah, whatever tequila Tom Brady was on at the Tampa Bay Bucks Super Bowl boat parade. Hey, man. Scott Boris, teach your own, man. Give me some of that tequila and maybe, maybe write me a check or two. That'd be pretty sweet. Just kick down for the old boy. All right. This is a wrap. Andrew Schuster, thank you for your time. Our special thanks to Drew Schaefer Crookston. Always a good guest. This is the Walk Ons Podcast, Thursday, November 11, 2021. I'm Ryan Reeves. We are out. The walk on.